Hello world, welcome to Finding History, the podcast where I, Victoria, examine the lives and actions of historical figures with an emphasis on monarchy. I also touch base on political movements, gender politics, and much more. But I do all of this with my own special twist. This podcast is a place I come to share history and how the actions of a few shape the world we know today, the good, the bad, and the downright terrifying. In this podcast, I do swear, so if you have little ones that love to parrot foul words, maybe wait till they are tucked in to give this podcast a listen. I talk about monarchy, religion, and colonialism, so one can expect me to drop a few F-bombs and C-grenades, but all well-deserved, I assure. If you like what you hear and you want to show your support, or you just want to say hello, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Finding History Podcast. Hey world, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Finding History. I'm your host, Vittoria, and today I'm going to talk to you about a super interesting woman from the Middle Ages by the name of Matilda, Empress Matilda to be accurate. To be honest, her name and titles are plenty and remind me of uh, Game of Thrones when they would introduce Daenerys, you know, the Dragon Queen, as breaker of chains and first of her name, that sort of jam. Well, Matilda was an empress, a queen, a warrior, a rightful heir, lady of the English, countess, though she never used that title as she felt it was beneath her, and my personal favorite, Femme Soul. Matilda is a woman who I feel like she's not really that well known outside of folks who are familiar with medieval history, um, which is pretty unfortunate because her life is definitely like limited series production level intense. Uh, I touched on her family in the previous episode on the White Ship disaster, uh, but her dad, Henry I of England, was just this intimidating man with an army of children and some real sinister comrades. If y'all are curious about that, I can drop some names. If you haven't listened to the White Ship episode, well, one, you should probably check it out. But to summarize that disaster, was um, it was basically a drunk boating accident where a lot of noble people died, as well as Henry I's um, only legitimate male heir, William Aithling. He lost two other children whom he was close with. Henry had 22 illegitimate children, and he was involved in all of their lives one way or another. So Matilda was not only, or sorry, Matilda was not an only child, you know, far from it, uh, but she was Henry's last legitimate heir. And after the accident, well, he looked to her for the future of the English throne. You know, come to think of it, you should probably listen to the White Ship episode before listening to this one. That event, what followed, and some of those people that I mentioned in that episode will be making an appearance in this one, and it'll just give you a better understanding of what's going on. Technically, this is the unofficial part two of the White Ship episode. Coming soon to AMC theaters and on-demand streaming, The White Ship 2, The Wrath of Keobuf Rock. 
With Matilda being the last legit child standing, Henry invested a lot of time convincing his noblemen to embrace her as his heir and made them swear that they would recognize her as Queen of England once he passed away. Well, spoiler alert, there was never a Matilda I of England. No, 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 no. England would not have its first queen regent until Mary I in 1553, and that's... uh. Henry VIII's uh, oldest daughter. So why didn't Matilda become Queen of England? Well, it's a complicated answer. And if I really wanted to make this podcast like less than five minutes, I could just give you the really short answer and just say England hated women. And, (laughs) you know, that would be the real blunt truth of it. And believe me, it was a doozy reading all the horrid things these male chroniclers of the time said about her. But in this episode, I'm going to break down uh, like the nitty gritty details of Matilda's life. So don't worry, you're going to hear all the terrible things they said about her because yeah, it needs to be heard. Matilda lived like 900 plus years ago and what information we have of her is not much which leaves room for some speculation, of course, the perfect antidote in writing historical fiction. Now, there are some battles going on per usual. I mean, Matilda claiming her right to the throne resulted in civil war, known as the anarchy. You know, so fighting be happening. But, um, and I've said this before, battles and war are not my jam. Like, for one, England and France had literally the same fight, just 5011 times in the Middle Ages alone. And don't get me started on the utter euro terrorism and waste of money the crusades were. So, I'll do my best to describe the events uh and such, but fighting doesn't really hold my interest, uh especially when I'm researching um drama, sexy scandal, village queers and crown jewels. Now that definitely does. As is the norm with Anglo-French history of the Middle Ages, there are a lot of folks with the same damn name. I will do my best to distinguish who was who. Now it's time for a little anarchy. Matilda was estimated to have been born around uh, February 7th, 1102, So our girl was an Aquarius, and it's not unusual for us to not have an exact birth date for her. Um, Records get lost, and it wasn't totally urgent to jot down a girl's birthday, even if that girl was a princess. Her father, who I mentioned before, um, Henry, was the last-born son of Big Deal, William the Conqueror, and her mother was Matilda of Scotland, who... I'm just going to refer to her as Edith Matilda for confusion's sake, Um, Edith being her given Anglo-Saxon name at birth, but was changed to Matilda once she became queen consort. Edith Matilda had descended from Anglo-Saxon royalty through the House of Wessex, which was first founded in the 6th century, as well as the Celtic kings of Scotland. So some real ancient power islanders of Britain. Her mother was St. Margaret of Scotland. From what I found, she was canonized in 1250, so about 150 years after her death, 
and it was for like general piety and charity. I'm not too familiar with the paperwork that goes uh, with becoming a saint, especially within Catholicism, uh, but I'm pretty sure being rich and powerful gets you at the top of the line. So Matilda was descended from a conqueror on her father's side and a saint on her mother's, which sounds pretty rad, especially for medieval times. Matilda was first educated by her mother, alongside her brother William, who was about a year and a half younger than her. Edith Matilda taught her children to read and write in their native language, which I think was Anglo-Norman French, and she also taught, the, taught them religious studies. For boys of the time, they were trained in the art of war from an early age, and girls were to learn how to administer a household and manage estates. Since she was expected to be a queen consort, wife to some super powerful dude, no doubt, Matilda's education focused largely on politics uh, rather than household activities, though she learned those as well. Edith Matilda was regarded as being intelligent, cultured, and deeply pious. Edith Matilda came from a fairly violent home, in my opinion, though. And I mean, I get that this is, you know, the Middle Ages, and I've read some real whoppers of this time. So there was kind of violence all around them, but this kind of violence that Edith Matilda was raised in was like religious violence. So like, you know, Carrie's mom sort of shit. Uh, in the Middle Ages. Her mother, St. Margaret, had raised her children by stressing the importance of religious piety and would not hesitate to strike her children with a rod when she deemed it necessary. Edith Matilda was sent to a convent at the age of six under the care of her aunt, who was an abbess named uh, Christina. She still received an education, though, learning to read and write in three languages. There was some controversy, though, when it came to marrying Henry I. Some folks believed that she was, in fact, a nun, and those who took holy orders were ineligible to marry. But Edith Matilda insisted that her aunt made her wear the nun's habit to, uh, quote her aunt, uh, protect her from the lust of the Normans. And when Edith Matilda removed the habit, she was beaten by her own aunt. After leaving her aunt's uh, convent, battered and beaten, she was thus allowed to marry Henry, though she never abandoned her deeply pious ways or her trauma. Henry and Edith Matilda only had two children. Matilda was the oldest, and then William followed, I believe I said, like a year and a half later. This is likely an agreement made by both Henry and Edith Matilda that they would have just two children, a boy and a girl, ideally. As the norm of the time was to have a lot of babies, at the very least, at least two or three sons. Henry is said to have been kind of like low-key grossed out by Edith, especially her, um, uh, especially by Edith Matilda's acts of religious devotion, which would include uh, washing the feet of the infirm, caressing ulcers and pressing the hands of lepers so like lepers hands people with leprosy uh their hands to her lips and like kissing them and <laughs> like that's gross um it is also likely that that edith matilda wanted to remain chaste once fulfilling her marital responsibilities 
Henry's legitimacy to the crown was wonky at best, as he was the youngest son of William the Conqueror. Now, I'm kind of low-key curious about Robert Curtos, who was the eldest son of William, and therefore Henry's older brother, and I'm a bit confused as to why he was not considered his father's heir, like, just off the bat. Uh, like, he was never considered um, by William the Conqueror, and he had, uh, William had four sons, but they all seemed to make fun of Robert, and he was, like, basically the black sheep of the family. I mean, his name, Curtos, is a dig at his short stature given to him by his father. Like, his father didn't like Robert at all, so I don't know what was going on there. Um, and Robert overall had a pretty shitty life. I won't get into it too much in this episode, but I think, uh, I think I'm going to do like maybe a Patreon episode about him, uh, cause the whole thing's really confusing for me. So I, if anyone's interested in that, let me know. Um, but I think I'm going to dig into that a little bit deeper on my Patreon account, but so back to Edith Matilda anyway, sorry. Uh, so he knew he needed Edith, like Henry knew he needed Edith Matilda's Anglo-Saxon family history to make his support stronger. Uh, and the two, I think, got along fine from what I read. Um, but he definitely got his rocks off elsewhere. Back to our girl Matilda, though. In 1108 or 1109, envoys were sent from Heinrich V of the Holy Roman Empire, who was not emperor just yet, and they were proposing marriage to Matilda. This got Henry I really excited, as his daughter would be marrying into one of the most powerful dynasties in Europe, and he would have thus uh, he would thus have more security in his kingship. These envoys inspected seven-year-old Matilda, and thus arrangements were made for her to marry. Negotiations were made, and Heinrich V would receive a dowry of 10,000 marks, which was needed to fund an expedition to Rome and his and Matilda's future coronations as imperial regents. Details were finalized in June of 1109, and from that moment on, Matilda would begin sitting in on royal council meetings. The Holy Roman Empire of the 12th century consisted of the following countries. Uh, let's see if I remember all of these. Um, so all of Germany, Luxembourg, Northern Italy, Belgium, Switzerland, the Netherlands, Slovenia, and a small chunk of France. Uh, I feel like they, there's some other country, but I don't know. Um, so just a whole lot of Europe was under empire control. And I mean, it kind of sounds like Star Wars or I don't know if this is worse, uh, but like the ancient Roman empire. Uh, I don't have many nice things to say about ancient Rome or the last Star Wars film, but ain't nothing sexy about imperialism, ever. However, Henry loved imperialism, like loved it. That was his jam, as with so many other, well, maybe all monarchs, that's their jam. And Henry had told Matilda when she was a child that land is power, and the more land that you have, the more power you have. And Matilda was about to have a whole lot of land. In February of 1110, possibly after Matilda's eighth birthday, she set sail for the Holy Roman Empire, thus saying goodbye to the mother she was close with, a six-year-old brother, her father, and the many half-siblings that were in her household. If she wept, 
or if she was scared, no chronicler of the time mentioned it. Matilda and Heinrich met in the town of Liège, which is still a city in Belgium, I believe, in April 1110. Heinrich was significantly older than Matilda. I believe when they first met, he was 25, which is totally gross, right? Like, so nasty. Uh, you know, when I was eight, uh, people in their mid-twenties, to me, were grown-ass adults and totally ancient. Even in a medieval context, who knows what was going through her mind? She was, from the age of six, uh, though, taught that this man was important and would be her access to power. Like, that alone is fucked up, but anyways. Um, the two became officially betrothed in Utrecht, uh, in the Netherlands, where their engagement was confirmed before an audience on Easter 1110. And on July 25th of that same year, Matilda was crowned Roman German Queen. Matilda was not allowed to keep any of her English attendants, and were dismissed, or they were dismissed fairly quickly upon her arrival. The chronicler of the time, Orderic Vitalis, says most of her attendants had volunteered to accompany her, looking for opportunities to advance their own careers. Heinrich's father referred to the English as being overbearing aliens. After her and Heinrich became betrothed, uh, which let me clarify, betrothed is different than being actually married. So they were, this was kind of like a four-year engagement before they could get married, which the legal age of marriage in the Middle Ages was 12. Still gross that she's engaged at eight, but not married yet. So there's that. But after they became betrothed, she was placed in the custody of the Archbishop of Trier, uh, called Bruno, and he was tasked with educating her in all things German, such as culture, manners, and government, thus abandoning her Anglo-Norman English customs. She became proficient in the language and learned all she could about the empire in which she would rule. She kept a personal household of German attendants and became accustomed to being addressed with the respect bestowed to a queen-slash-empress in training. So, I mentioned what I'm about to bring up in a past episode I did on Arthur Plantagenet and, well, the process of uh, sending a child away to be raised in a foreign land. Um, you know, I... I really don't see that act as being much different than grooming. Grooming is when someone builds a relationship, trust, an emotional connection with a child or young person so they can manipulate, exploit, and abuse them. Children and young people who are groomed can be sexually abused, exploited, or trafficked. Anybody can be a groomer, no matter their age, gender, or race. Matilda was sent over as a child to marry someone much older than her, taught that this man was her future, to be accustomed and acclimate to him and his world and abandon everything she knew prior to that. She was six or seven when she became aware that she was uh, to be sent to the Empire, and some might counter uh, that you don't absorb much at that age anyways, but that's definitely not the point I'm trying to make here. Um, where Matilda came from mattered, yes, as that is what piqued Heinrich's interest, but who she was as a person prior to that 
like prior to the empire, that didn't matter. Matilda's position was to be wife, co-ruler, and to produce many monarchs. Matilda was always described as being dignified and articulate, even at such a young age, but this child was being groomed by a much older man and the entire Holy Roman Empire. She is just one of many people who experience this sort of behavior. Some may dismiss me saying this as, oh, that's just how it was back then, like the kids were fine. Like, uh, no, trust me, the kids were not fine. And we should not dismiss this long-ass history of, like, misery we put children through, especially when examining monarchy. I will say some historians argue that Matilda was given such a rigorous German education because, due to the age gap between her and Heinrich, that in the event of him dying before her, she would need to govern until any offspring between the two of them came of age. Okay, I can see that, but multiple things, multiple things can still be true. They could be preparing Matilda for the inevitable death of her much older husband, sure, but that does not dismiss the fact that sending young children away from their families to be raised in a foreign court wasn't fucked up. Four years after Matilda was crowned Roman-German queen, Heinrich decided he could wait no more, and the 29-year-old was ready to marry his 12-year-old fiancé. Matilda and Heinrich were officially married on the 7th of January, 1114, amid great splendor with imperial princes and nobles from all across the empire in attendance. So at least from the information I gathered, uh, Heinrich and Matilda had a fairly decent marriage. There's no mention of them throwing hands with one another, but I did not read anything that was like, oh, Heinrich loved Matilda as the moon loves the sea or anything like super lovey-dovey like that. Uh, they were both said to have respected one another and were basically this like, you know, imperial team. But I'm still going to say it, you know, marrying a 12-year-old when you're a grown-ass man is disgusting. And I don't care. I don't care. It's my podcast. I'm going to say what I want. It was nasty. I'm not over it. Okay, so this is where things get a little popey and popey meaning churchy, whatever. And church is also not my jam, so bear with me here. So conflict broke out across the empire shortly after Heinrich and Matilda's marriage. A whole big political mess. And this all started when Heinrich arrested his chancellor, Archbishop uh, Adalbert of Mainz, and Adalbert is a cool-ass name, like, someone please get a cat and name it Adalbert, um, and he arrested some other German princes as well. Rebellions followed, as did opposition from within the Holy Church, which played a role in administering uh, the empire, and this led to the formal excommunication of the emperor by Pope Pascal II. Heinrich and Matilda then hauled their asses to Italy, as their empire was in disarray. They needed to go settle matters with this pope. Pope problems. So, they marched through the snow-capped Alps, traveling on ancient Roman roads, which sounds almost mythic and pretty cool. And at this point, Matilda is 14 years old. 14 years old. Like, 
At 14, I was literally making up personas in chat rooms and talking to a lot of perverts. Um, so <laughs> like chat rooms, like that chat, let's talk for a minute about chat rooms. Like what a good way to answer the question that like, tell me how old you are without saying how old you are. Well, for me, it's, I remember chat rooms, like good Lord. At this point, Matilda had already made the imperial government her full-time work sponsoring royal grants, and taking part in ceremonial occasions. I think Matilda saw this mission to Italy as her moment to finally, officially, claim the title of Empress, which, you know, is what she was brought up to believe was her destiny. Pascal fled when Henry and Matilda arrived with their army, and in his absence, the papal envoy Maurice Bourdon, later the anti-pope, under the name Gregory VIII, crowned the pair at St. Peter's Basilica, probably that Easter. Now, I personally have never heard of the term anti-pope, like maybe in passing, but never really got what that was about. So to summarize, an anti-pope is a person who, in opposition to the lawful pope, makes a significant attempt to occupy the position of Bishop of Rome and leader of the Catholic Church. Matilda used these ceremonies to claim the title of the Empress of the Holy Roman Empire. The empire was governed by monarchs who, like Heinrich, had been elected by the major nobles to become king. These kings typically hoped to be subsequently crowned by the pope as emperors, but this was not always guaranteed. Heinrich had coerced Pascal II into crowning him in 1111, but Matilda's own status was less clear. As a result of her marriage, she was clearly the legitimate queen of the Romans, a title that she used thereafter on her seal and charters, but it was uncertain if she had a legitimate claim to be to the title of empress. After his imperial, imperial coronation, there we go, uh, in 1111, Henry continued to call himself king and emperor of the Romans interchangeably. Chroniclers of the time wrote that Matilda was crowned by the official pope, and she did not feel the need to correct them. To be fair, I wouldn't either. I'd be like, look, someone crowned me who said he was the pope, so how exactly am I lying? Literally sat, while a man who called himself the pope, in a basilica in Rome, mind you, put a crown on my head and anointed me with oil, thus was crowned by a pope. If it looks like a pope and sounds like a pope, then it's a pope. Bada boom, bada bing. Probably a good thing my Catholic mother isn't listening to this podcast. Both the anti-pope status and the ceremonies themselves were deeply ambiguous. Strictly speaking, the ceremonies were not imperial coronations, but instead were formal crown-wearing occasions. All right. Maurice Bourdon had also been excommunicated by the time, by that time, he conducted the second ceremony, and he was later deposed and imprisoned for life by Pope Calictus II. Nonetheless, Matilda maintained that she had been officially crowned as the Empress in Rome. I mean, she wasn't really lying, she was crowned in Rome, like, and so her use of the title became widely accepted. Matilda consistently used the title of Empress from 1117 until her death. 
Heinrich left Matilda in Italy for a minute in 1118 to return back to Germany to stop some brewing rebellions. Matilda therefore acted as imperial regent and governed Italy at the age of 16. So she was imperial regent of Italy at 16. Like, okay, wow. She spent about a year and a half and really put all she had been learning into practice by herself. She was acting on behalf of her husband, though, and it is important that I mention this. Trust me. Women in the Middle Ages did yield power. It is a lie to say, it, it would be a lie to say that they didn't. However, power was hardly ever their power, and they would yield power either on behalf of their husband, father, son, brother, whatever the fuck, like some male in their family. And if they acted on behalf of a male power, that was fine. Uh, but their own power, that was definitely not fine. That was not okay. In 1119, she returned north to meet Heinrich. Some say she returned back because the couple were together for four years now, like they were married for four years now, with no offspring, and the pressure was mounting on both of them. Now, by most historic accounts, there is no mention of any offspring from their union. The chronicler Hermaine of, I think it's pronounced Hermaine of Tournai, mentions a child of Henry and Matilda that died soon after birth. But in the book I read by Dr. Catherine Hanley, there is no mention of this. I think if Matilda had been pregnant at any point, she might have likely miscarried, and it could have been early on in the pregnancy. As I do think it, I, I think it would be odd if she had given birth or had been pregnant. There would never have been any mention of it, because the chroniclers mention there being no offspring, but I feel like they would have mentioned, oh, there was a child, but it died after however many minutes or months. So it's a little odd that nothing was mentioned, um, but this was also 900 years ago, so shit gets lost. Oh, I should probably mention this. So at this point, Henry was widowed at the time of the White Ship disaster. Edith Matilda had passed away in 1118, and um, Matilda, our girl Matilda, had said to have been very upset upon learning the death of her mother, uh, whom she was very close with as she had been educated with um educated by her as a child and the queen had been was said to have been very much loved william of malmesbury described her as singularly holy a rival of her mother's piety in 1122 heinrich and matilda were at the council of worms and i guess to medievalists this is a pretty big deal as it was part of this investiture controversy between church and state the council settled the long-running dispute with the church when Heinrich gave up his rights to invest bishops with their episcop episcopal yeah episcopal regalia. Can't even read my own notes. Matilda had attempted to visit her father in England that year, but the journey was blocked by Count Charles I of Flanders, whose territory she would have um, she would have needed a pass to go through. And historian Marjorie Chibnall argues that Matilda had intended to discuss the inheritance of the English crown on this journey. And Dr. Catherine Hanley suggested this as well. And it makes perfect sense. Like, the timing was right. 
So Heinrich becomes increasingly ill as time goes on. And from the time that they left Italy, actually, he just kind of kept getting sicker and sicker. And it turns out he was actually suffering from cancer, most likely stomach cancer. And I get this is off topic. I've been off topic this whole episode. But um, so many people, I've noticed that so many people died of digestive diseases around the time of the Middle Ages. And I know cancer is cancer, but the stomach is a digestive organ, so it's close enough. And, you know, I'm not sure if this might have something to do with how food was stored during that time or possibly hygiene issues uh, such as uh, what like somewhat tepid smelly meat cooked that maybe shouldn't have been cooked consumed like too like for prolonged periods of time like or was this lamb handled by someone with the plague like um, and harvest could be lacking which would lead to like nutrient deficiencies and also not sure how many folks had access to clean water consistently. It's just something I've observed. I've, I feel like I've read so many ish, uh, things of people having random digestive things where I'm just like, what's going on here, guys? On the 23rd of May, 1125, Heinrich passed away with Matilda by his bedside. There is only one account describing how Matilda felt at this time, which is that she felt a great sadness, which is not surprising at all. As stated earlier, Heinrich and Matilda made an effective team and their relationship was, in the Middle Ages sense, built around a mutual respect for one another. He was the most important person in her life, and I find this sad for plenty of reasons. From the time she was six or seven, so the age of a child in the first grade, she was told this man was going to be her world and thus placed in his hands. She would be both wife and co-regent and, well, no one wants to say this part, but a pawn of Heinrich. And I don't know what Matilda was feeling, but I'm sure it was just, you know, this whirlwind of fear, uncertainty, and sadness, all symptoms of grief. The two were married for 11 years. Matilda was now 23 years old and without a child and heir. Heinrich bestowed the imperial regalia on her until a new emperor was to be elected. It was traditional to blame the woman for a couple being childless because, of course it was, though there were not many sources blaming Matilda for infertility, but more so pointing the finger at Heinrich for revolting against his father and his sins against the church, but that could be a whole other episode, though. Originally, Heinrich had selected his nephew, Frederick, as his heir and um, to his estates, but an electoral process appointed a man named Lothar, whom Heinrich supposedly disliked. Matilda was very, very well-liked in the empire and was referred to as die Gut. Matilde, but being childless, she could no longer exercise a role as an imperial regent. Everything she worked for, she could no longer claim as a single woman. This left her with very limited choices. She could become a nun, or she could retire to her dower lands, meaning lands within her own estate, 
which sounds fun to me because I'm a hermit, or she could remarry. She received marriage proposals from a lot of rich Germans, but politely declined. Matilda had been an empress after all, and felt if she were to remarry, she needed to be... She needed at least an empress-level title or something greater. With the fate of the English crown still uncertain, and at her father's request, Matilda, like most of, most of us millennials, moved back home to figure out what her next move would be. Before leaving the empire, which was her home since she was eight years old, she resigned her dower lands, and she took with her a personal collection of jewels, her own imperial regalia, two of Heinrich's imperial crowns, and a relic of the hand of St. James the Apostle, which I will be mentioning all of this again. She also took with her the title of Empress, in which she would use for the rest of her life. I don't say this to sound insensitive, but relics like low-key crack me up, especially those within Catholicism. I mean... For how much they claim that they aren't pagan, like carrying around a mummified hand, a face, or a foot sounds pretty pagan to me. You know, like, come on, like how does one even acquire a relic? I'm going to have to look into this later because I am genuinely curious. So, but if any of you know, please let me know. I, I my curiosity is genuine. Uh, I'm not throwing shade. Uh, it's, it's just very, it's, it's cool. It's very Halloween-y. I love it. Mary, Queen of Scots, is said to have kept uh, St. Uh, Margaret of Scotland's head in the delivery room with her while she gave birth to James I. Yes, the St. Margaret, uh, Matilda's scary religious grandmother. Like, I wonder if the head, like, sat above the fireplace watching the birth or was it like next to the bed? I don't think it would be on Mary Queen of Scots because I feel like a head would be pretty delicate, right? I just like that Matilda was like, you know what? I'm taking my imperial jewels. I'm taking my fucking title as empress and I'm taking my fucking saint hand. Next time you see me, I might be queen of the English. Matilda out. Matilda made the journey not to England, but to Normandy, where all the bad bitch stuff happened in the 12th century. Gosh damn, I want to visit Normandy so bad. It's basically like Disneyland for medieval dorks. Anyways, father and daughter were reunited in fall of 1125. She spent a year at the royal court trying to acclimate, assimilate? I think it's assimilate, back to the Norman court, but she had spent so long being raised in all things German that she was essentially a German woman. She struggled with communication as she spoke German day in and day out and lost a lot of her mother tongue, which I think, let's, let's see if I get this right. It was like Anglo-Norman, it was like an Anglo-Norman dialect of French, or I guess I could say like Norman French. The second issue she ran into was court etiquette. Henry's household was fairly informal, while the court life of the empire was stiff and very ritualistic. Her struggle with communication and unlearning the behavior that was expected of her for years 
and no doubt her profound grief made her time back home unpleasant. At least initially she was fair. She felt pretty unpleasant. Um, and it was also around this time that the rumors of Matilda being arrogant and haughty began. She did find some comfort and companionship with her young stepmother, Adelisa, who was also from the Empire originally. And she was also reunited with her half-brother, Robert of Gloucester. And she knew Robert as a child, though he was 10 years older than her. Robert would remain one of her most loyal supporters in her fight for the English crown. Henry I had the Anglo-Norman barons gather at Westminster on Christmas of 1126, where they swore to recognize Matilda and any future legitimate heir she may have as his successors. Henry had more or less accepted that Adeliza was not going to get pregnant. Everyone was stumped that Adeliza wasn't pregnant, but I don't think anyone begrudged her for this. Um, it's just that Henry was as a fertile home uh, with a lot of kids, and eventually Adeliza went on to have several children post-Henry's death. But my personal opinion is Henry never got over the devastation of the white ship disaster, and folks really underestimate what grief does to the body, both in Henry's time and in ours. All these barons and noblemen claim they would accept Matilda, but folks will reveal themselves in time. Not her maternal uncle, though, David I of Scotland, who proudly declared to support and accept her as future regent and would remain loyal till the end of her campaign. Her cousin, Stephen of Blois, also took the oath that he would uphold Matilda. Stephen of Blois was the guy who said he would not ride to England via the white ship because he had diarrhea, thus avoiding death by channel. Stephen is, pardon mon français, a cunt. He was not serious in his oath to Matilda and would thief the throne away from her. And I'll get to that in a minute. Even with the barons claiming support and the noblemen's claiming support, Henry felt he needed more than their word, and that these men of his would definitely need more incentive to follow a woman. Henry needed to find Matilda a husband, and very fast, so she could produce an heir, preferably a male one. As stated previously, Matilda was hesitant to marry anyone who was not of high standing, as she had become accustomed to empress life. Fair enough. I mean, I don't think this makes Matilda a dick or anything. Um, if you were used to eating lobster all of your life, you wouldn't want to give that up for, oh, I don't know, bologna sandwiches. Well, girlfriend did not get lobster. I'm not sure how much uh, say Matilda had in her choice of husband, but daddy's choice was not it. Before his death, her brother William was married to a girl named Matilda of Anjou, I know, another Matilda. And when he died, the territory of Anjou more or less became a threat yet again. The peace was no longer a thing, like the temporary peace that they had. And the Dukes of Anjou, well, they were a rowdy bunch of people, said to terrorize other neighboring regions, and they claimed a demon as an ancestor. They would one day become the Plantagenet dynasty, but... I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Anyway, after William died, Henry refused to return uh, Matilda's dowry to the Count of Anjou, uh, who was Matilda's father. Why he didn't, I'm not too sure. Uh, but by not returning it, he made even more drama. Like, it was a stupid, cheap move, in my opinion. And I don't think the marriage was even consummated because Matilda was very, very young. Like... I thought she was 13, but I think she was like nine years old. So God, I hope nothing was consummated. But uh, Henry needed a solution for peace. And now that Matilda, his child, actual our girl Matilda, was single again, she was to be married to the Count's uh, 13-year-old son, uh, Geoffrey of Anjou. By doing this, he recreated the alliance, and the Count of Anjou was really excited at the prospect of his son being married to a woman with such an impressive imperial career. Matilda was less than thrilled. In fact, she really hated this arrangement. For one, Geoffrey was a child. A man in the medieval world, sure, whatever, but much younger than her. Secondly, she felt marrying the son of a count diminished her imperial status. If this whole deal with becoming monarch fell through, what would she have then? Just a countess title, and she didn't want that at all. It took a lot of convincing for her to be okay with this marriage, and I wish I knew what was said to sway her decision, but I don't know. Possibly a lot of talk that if she didn't marry, she would be ineligible for the crown, the nobles and barons would never accept just a single woman, and at this point her father was still in relatively good health, so he was not dying anytime soon. And also, um, I mentioned earlier Robert Curtos, the oldest brother of Henry, he was still alive, so he was low-key a threat, um, but also even more so, he had a son, another William, who was still alive and doing just fine, and he was definitely still a threat to the crown. So they were like, girl, I'm sorry, you're gonna have to marry this child. I don't know what to tell you. Perhaps people tried to sway her by talking about how good looking Geoffrey of Anjou was. He had the infamous Plantagenet red gold hair that would be passed down throughout the centuries and was referred to as La Belle or Geoffrey the Handsome. Geoffrey gets his nickname Plantagenet from the yellow broom flower he would wear as a lapel which was called Planta Genista. After a whole lot of debate, Matilda eventually agreed to the marriage. Matilda then traveled to Rouen in May of 1127 with her favorite brother, Robert of Gloucester, where her and Geoffrey were formally betrothed. Matilda was 25 at this time. Over the course of the next year, Geoffrey of Anjou's dad, whose name is Folk, and I always want to read it as fuck, decides to depart for Jerusalem because that's just what rich euros did in the Middle Ages. Like, try to fuck shit up in Jerusalem. That was their jam. And I read somewhere it was every rich man's dream in the Middle Ages to have, uh, to be king of Jerusalem. I'm not going to touch on that history, though. Oh, God, just, just thinking about it, it would make my head explode. As Folk departed, he left his possessions to Geoffrey, which were considerable, and by leaving, it thus made Geoffrey the official Count of Anjou and Count of Maine, and Matilda would inherit the Countess' title right off the bat. Henry knighted his future middle school-aged son-in-law, and Matilda and Geoffrey were then married on the 17th of June, 1128, 
in, I believe it's pronounced Le Mans. I should add, the canonical age for boys to get married in the Middle Ages was 14. Girls had to be at least 12. Betrothed, from my understanding, could happen at any age. Uh, Matilda's father was reported to have given her away, and by law, Matilda became property of her teenage husband. The couple endured three weeks of celebrations following the wedding. Now, this was not a happy marriage at all. Like, the two did not like each other, and I sure hope the marriage was not consummated right away. I like to think that it wasn't, but I don't know. I'm gonna play ignorant and say, yeah, nothing happened. Uh, women can be predatory, too. I'm not saying that they can't be, but uh, there was no excitement on Matilda's part to be married to a young teen, so I don't think that was it. And soon after the marriage, Matilda left Geoffrey and returned to Normandy. Matilda and Geoffrey were unable to empathize with one another and were just stuck in this, like, perpetual cycle of dislike for one another. It is difficult to say what exactly they argued about, but some accounts say Geoffrey did not appreciate Matilda's past and formal upbringing and made little to no attempt to understand her while others say Matilda tried to impose herself on Jeffrey's conduct and tried to instruct him on how he should govern his lands that he just inherited. And, of course, Matilda did not like being in possession of a teenage boy. And, let's see, I can't read my notes here. So, um, so they absolutely resented one another. It was about a year into the marriage after, or about a year into the marriage is when Matilda left, it is unclear if Matilda left out of her own will or if Jeffrey threw her out. She sent multiple letters to her father complaining about what a shit husband he chose for her. Jeffrey made no attempt at reconciliation, nor did she, and he spent their time apart developing his military skills and taking up a mistress. In 1130, at 17 years old, he became a dad by producing an illegitimate son who was called Hamlin. On the 8th of September, 1131, Henry made his barons swear loyalty once more for Matilda by making it clear that Geoffrey would have no position as king. I know some people were kind of like worried, like, is he going to try to become king? Like, what's this about? So I think he just wanted to make this clear, like, hey, he's not going to be king, but she is going to be your queen. And any children they had would be heirs through Matilda, of course. And Geoffrey would just be a male consort. At this time, Geoffrey was said to have been asking for her to return, not through her though, through other people, like other noble channels, no doubt making it seem like he was the one that was scorned. Who knows though, like low-key kind of gives me fuckboy vibes, but whatever. Uh, so Matilda, re Matilda reunited and things between them remained calm, and by 1132, Matilda was pregnant. Matilda surrounded herself with ladies who were mothers and midwives during her pregnancy. Matilda was very nervous as a woman giving birth was in more danger of death than a knight going into battle. Also, she had just turned 30 that year and was considered quite old for being a first-time mom. Girl, they still call women who wait till they're 30 to have kids like old women. Like geriatric pregnancies, like what the fuck? In the spring of 1133, she was confined, 
shut in her apartments with attendants. If anyone has any suggestions for like readings or podcast describing the confinement process, like please let me know. It sounds so terrifying and definitely like it definitely couldn't have been good for a mother or future baby. Though I'm pretty sure this all started because of some like patriarchal church punishment of women for I don't know, having sex and having babies. I don't know. Some like original sin bullshit. Um, I am genuinely curious though. So if anyone has more info, hit me up. On March 5th, 1133, Matilda gave birth to the future Henry II. She is reported as having wept her joy at his baptism. Her father was super relieved the child and her were healthy and had huge celebrations in Normandy. Henry, son of a bitch, I have, like, another Henry I gotta, like, distinguish. Um, Henry Jr. would become Matilda's favorite child, and he would adopt her title as his own once he grew older, and he would refer to himself as Henry Fitz Empress. In 1134, Matilda gives birth again to a boy named Geoffrey, and his birth was incredibly difficult for her. According to Norman chronicler Robert de Torini, she was in imminent danger, and everyone was alerted that she could die. There is even a well-documented argument between Matilda and her father, Henry, about where she would be buried in the event of her death. He wanted her buried in Rouen Cathedral at the ancestral vault of all the Dukes of Normandy, and she wanted to be at Beck Abbey which I wish was still standing, but the original abbey was erect uh, during the French Revolution and from general decay. Matilda was devout in a normal, conventional way for the time, and Beck Abbey had been one of her favorites, in which she had always made, like, donations to and such. Like, she fully supported them. But, like, fuck, like, Papa Henry was a real dick at times. Like, Imagine fighting with your dad, like, on your deathbed about where you want to be buried. And he's like, nah, we're going to do it this way. Like, shut the fuck up, dad. Thankfully, though, uh, Matilda did pull through and recover after her second pregnancy. But, whew, still, Henry is, is a lot. Henry Sr. had hoped to be around for at least another 10 or 15 years for a more peaceful transition of power, but in 1135, against the doctor's orders, Henry dined on a surfeit of lamprey eels and became gravely ill. If his doctor warned him against the dish, it is likely that he had some sort of, like, digestive issues prior to consuming the meal, but I found no mention of it. So either it was, like, a further inflammation of a chronic condition, or a real bad case of food poisoning, because um, Henry passed away a week after he had that meal. And Matilda at this time was far away from the court and would not receive word till some weeks later of her father's passing. Someone else did receive word, though. Someone who swore they'd honor her claim as monarch, and someone who she had known since she was a child. Yes, Stephen of Blois was readying himself to become King Diarrhea of England. 
I think I have said this before, at least in a previous episode, transfer of power was never really smooth in the Middle Ages, even when there was a designated heir. So even if Henry had lived another 10 or 15 years, that's not even a guarantee things would be peaceful. So like anything could happen. In a lot of cases, it was really about who could get there first and claim that power. Stephen happened to be nearby when the king, when King Henry had passed away, and within a week of his death, he was already in London. He was very popular in the capital, and he was described as being persuasive and charming. He controlled the trade routes to the continent and said he wanted to distinguish London as a commune and recognize their desired autonomy, which would free Londoners from restrictions and tolls. So already, London was, like, jizzing themselves for King Diarrhea. Stephen went on to secure the royal treasury, which was a substantial amount of money, and by December 22nd of 1135, he had a small coronation. Though he had been a hit in London, the coronation was sparsely attended, with only three bishops and some noblemen. I don't think this is because he didn't have support. Embarrassingly enough, he had a lot of support, but I think it was a real rushed coronation, so no chance to send out any invitations. To further cement his validity to the crown, Stephen claimed that Henry did not really intend to have Matilda rule once he had passed away, and was said to have privately have said to have privately regretted making her his heir. There is, however, zero proof of this. Also, he stated that on Henry's deathbed, he asked a few noblemen, listing various names, not to recognize Matilda, but all the men he named were nowhere near Henry I as he lay dying, so King Diarrhea is a liar. What he really did, though, was persuade an already hesitant bunch of stupid men, who were leery of female sovereignty, to switch sides and accept him. Now, maybe this is beyond the grave karma, as Henry I had usurped the crown from his brother Robert Curtos. But as my favorite line from the movie The King goes, all monarchy is illegitimate. Still, King Diarrhea is a real blowhard. This coup just really threw everybody off. Like, England didn't know what happened exactly, and all the French territories were just like, Wait, the king died, and now there's this guy? Like, nothing made sense. I am not sure when Matilda received the news exactly, but I do know by the time Stephen was in London, she finally heard what happened to her father. Some historians and chroniclers were perplexed that Matilda did not set sail for England right away. On one hand, some believed that she that she believed a transfer of power would be simple and that the barons and clergy would keep their word and defend her. This is seen as being super naive, though, and it really doesn't make much sense, even to me who is like fairly new to this Matilda history. Seeing as she left the empire widowed and saw the conflict of power with securing a new emperor and king, and she also saw conflict of power in Rome with like the Pope and the anti-Pope, like, I doubt she believed everyone would just love and accept her, like, no questions asked, like, highly doubt it. 
and some say it was a combo of grief and her latest pregnancy. Henry Sr. was not always kind to her. Henry is often seen as like a caring father since he gave all of his illegitimate kids jobs and marriages, but the guy was intense as fuck, even to his kids. I also see the jobs and marriages he gave for his offspring as just another move of control, like not solely based on love and tenderness, you know? Like, I'm not saying that he didn't have emotions for his children. Again, multiple things can be true. Still, father and daughter were very close, and I'm sure her grief was complex. But Matilda, as all monarchs are trained to do, put political power before personal feelings and moved on. At the time of the news, Matilda was pregnant with her third child and was estimated to be 8 to 12 weeks pregnant. This is a peak time for morning sickness for most pregnant people, and Matilda would have had to endure some intense travel were she to choose to travel to England. And the journey isn't so much a quick one. You know, back then it was not quick at all. I think she was at the time in like central eastern France, so uh, she'd have to travel through the countryside, cross the channel, cross through English countryside to London, yada yada. Like, it sounds like a lot, while also enduring the early stages of pregnancy. Matilda gave birth to her third and final child on the 22nd of July, 1136, a boy they called William. Matilda's uncle, David I of Scotland, invaded England and declared for Matilda in that same year, but was unsuccessful. Geoffrey and Matilda then spent the next three years building Angevin forces in their regions. To be clear, there was no actual law against female sovereignty, and if there had been, we can assume that Stephen would have used that against her. However, if he had, his succession came, uh, his succession would be threatened as well, because he came from a female line, like his claim to the crown was through a female line. Um, his mother was Adela, and she was a daughter of William the Conqueror. Therefore, by saying straight up, hey, she, could, she can't be monarch because she's a woman, he would threaten his own legitimacy. Uh, women could exercise authority if it was on behalf of the men in their lives. Matilda wanted to obtain sovereignty in her own right, though. Matilda needed to build up her support the best way she could. Knowing that all but two oath-takers turned their backs on her, she couldn't really count on them or anyone associated with them. Matilda faced a real tough choice. Settle on being a countess, a title she despised, or work to secure her own legacy and that of her children. She already had an empire taken away from her, so she was not about to let yet another kingdom slip away, at least not without a fight. In 1138, Matilda's half-brother, Robert of Gloucester, who was a powerful baron, of course, officially rebelled against Stephen and by declaring his support for Matilda, which triggered a major regional rebellion in Kent and across the southwest of England. And this was basically the start of the whole anarchy civil war. In France, her husband Geoffrey took advantage of the situation by reinvading Normandy. Normandy has got some ghosts, and I want to see them real bad. David of Scotland struck England again by invading the north and pushed as far south as Yorkshire. 
it was really this chain of events that just really popped off when Robert was just kind of like, enough is enough, King Diarrhea. Like, your reign is over. Stephen sent his wife, another Matilda, who I don't have a high opinion of her at all. So for the most part of this podcast, I'm just going to call her M or King Diarrhea's wife. Occasionally I'll use her name, but I don't care. So, but I'll let you know her official name. So her official name was Matilda of Boulogne. And if you look at a map of Boulogne, it's uh, a coastal French city, like right across from the channel or right across the channel from Dover. So easy access to England. Anyway, he told her to send ships and was to try to control the port of Dover so invading armies couldn't come in. Stephen later dispatched armies uh, to attempt to squash any sort of revolts. And both M and Stephen had succeeded and proceeded to blow one another over their victories. In 1139, Matilda and Robert were reunited in Normandy. The two of them and Geoffrey spent the start of that year mobilizing forces for a cross-channel expedition. Matilda appealed to the papacy through a representative, Bishop Ulger, and put forth a legal claim to the English throne on the grounds of hereditary right and the oath sworn by the barons. Stephen, at this time, starts talking smack about Matilda. Do the kids still say that these days? Talking smack? Is Gen Z hip with talking smack? I don't know. Anyway, uh, Stephen flaps his lips and argues that Matilda is not legitimate as her mother was a nun. So he basically restarted an old rumor and some men, some of the noblemen just ate it up like lamprey pie. So there's that. Empress Matilda's invasion began in the summer of 1139. Matilda was invited to stay with her former stepmother, Adeliza, in Arundel Castle. I want to keep saying, I want to say Arundel, but it's Arundel Castle. Though it is unclear if Matilda was invited or if she just kind of showed up. Unclear on this one, guys. Sorry, I heard conflicting things like she was and she wasn't, so not too sure. But while Matilda stayed there, Robert marched to Wallingford and Bristol, hoping to raise support for the rebellion and to join with an English magnate by the name of Miles of Gloucester, who had declared for Matilda. King Diarrhea got word that Matilda was in Arundel and trapped her inside. This part of the story is also unclear to me. If her stepmother had invited Matilda, well, then this was a trap, so that's a real dick move. If Adeliza, however, didn't set up a trap, then perhaps Stephen was just tracking her or had a spy, not too sure again, and I could not find any official yay or nay, so it's anyone's guess. But Matilda, thankfully, was not harmed, and her household of knights and her were escorted to the southwest of England, which had declared for her. Historians argue that Stephen may have let Matilda and her knights go, as he did not see her as a threat, but he did see her half-brother Robert as one, or that Stephen released Matilda out of a sense of chivalry. Ugh, gross. He just underestimated her power, which was really stupid, but he's kind of a dumb bitch, so I'm not surprised. On February 2nd, 1141, Matilda's luck finally changed, and she and Robert had massive success at the Battle of Lincoln. 
their armies were able to encircle Stephen's forces, and after much more fighting, he was taken away from the field in Robert's custody. For the past year, Matilda had established herself a court in Gloucester, and it is here where Matilda received Stephen before having him moved to Bristol Castle. Though Stephen had usurped the throne from her, Matilda felt that he should be treated with the dignity of his estate, and to do anything else would be devaluing to monarchy. Though Robert desired to put him in chains, and I think he did at one point, but it was not for the entirety of his imprisonment. At this point, it was a little over five years from her father's death, and Matilda was closer to the throne than she had ever been. She was at this point 39 years old and a mother of three, a real woman of the world indeed, and ready to add English monarch to her list of titles. Matilda began the necessary steps to have herself crowned, which would require the agreement of the church and her coronation at Westminster. King Diarrhea's brother, Henry, was Bishop of Winchester, and Matilda had made a deal with him that he would deliver the support of the church in exchange for being granted control over church affairs. He, of course, agreed, and handed over the royal treasury, which proved to be rather depleted upon his brother's uh, usurpation. Bishop Henry also excommunicated many enemies of hers who had refused to switch sides. Now here is where Matilda's succession gets real. The clergy gathered in Winchester in April of 1141 and declared Matilda monarch, after Stephen, but what her title should be was of issue. Matilda was to be the first female sovereign of England, not queen consort and not queen regent, who acts in place of her husband. The closest they had to this was Alfred the Great's daughter, Ethelfled, who was known as Lady of the Mercians in the ninth century. Matilda assumed the title of Lady of England and Normandy, in Latin Domina Anglorum, translated as Lady of the English. Matilda had to assert her sole claim to the throne by declaring herself female king. She had to stress that Geoffrey, her husband, would not receive title or power of king. She suppressed her identity as wife and countess. From 1139 to 1141, she started to use the term femme sole to certify her independence, and I believe she signed a few charters with uh, femme sole during this time. Now, femme sole is Norman French for woman alone or single woman, which is really cool as fuck. Matilda also had a seal a coin made while awaiting her coronation. Now her coins, this is interesting, her coins were round like a king, not oval. Like female coins would be oval. That was the traditional shape for women's coins. And a round coin was to signify like kingly. And I think it's, um, I think it has something to do with the Holy Trinity, I believe. Mm. Don't quote me on that. It was uh, single-sided, and it depicted her alone, no husband or son. She presented herself in the common image of a male monarch, sitting face forward like a king. Most coins were double-sided, and the flip side would have a male monarch, uh, it would be a male monarch with them as a warrior, depicting the military nature of kingship. To be a king, one must also be a knight. 
but Matilda's coin, it was just blank on the other side. This was worrisome to Matilda's supporters. She would not be expected to ride into battle, but who would ride on her behalf? Her brother, maybe? That would be likely, as it was a brother-sister team that had secured the throne at this point. But then I think that leaves the window open, like, is Robert going to be co-monarch? Like, what are we going to do here? So, I think they were kind of just wanting, at this point, wanting to get Matilda crowned, and then they'd figure it out. I feel like a question some people might be wondering is... Like, why wouldn't Matilda just be assumed to go into battle? Like, why wouldn't she have depicted herself as a warrior on her own uh, coin? Well, I mean, I guess to middle to, to the standards of the Middle Ages, like, a woman as a warrior just was not, it was not something they really thought of. And it was like, it like defied gender roles and they would have thought it was ridiculous. And some of them would have thought it was ridiculous. Some of them would have been like murdery at the thought of like a woman going into battle and behaving like a man and being, having the courage of a man. So I think that's kind of the reason why they didn't even bother with that. And I agree. It was probably best to leave it blank. So people didn't like lose their shit immediately. Like people were already freaking out that a woman wanted to like, assert her independence for the fucking crown. So I get it. All was secure and Matilda was preparing for her coronation when on the 24th of June, the city of London rose up against her, but they were not alone. Now, I did not learn this until I read Dr. Catherine Hanley's Matilda book. And anytime I Googled why Matilda was not crowned, it pointed to the citizens of London. And yes, they were involved, but they had help. King Diarrhea's wife, Matilda of Boulogne, patron saint of the patriarchy, gathered an angry mob and fueled the citizens of London to push Empress Matilda out of the city, thus being able to free her husband and put them both back on the thrones in which they stole. Shitty Matilda raised forces along with her lieutenant, William of, I believe this is pronounced, William of Ypres in Kent, and marched to London. The deeds of Stephen, which are an account of Stephen's reign, referred to his wife as forgetting the weakness of her sex and fighting with the valor of a man. Because this Matilda fought for her husband, chroniclers were much more kind describing her than they would be our girl Matilda. Her armies raged furiously, burning and ravaging the countryside along the way. The people of London were like, oh fuck yeah, let's burn this shit down because this is London and we've been misbehaving for centuries, so fuck it all. Bells began to ring all across the capital, which was the signal for citizens to take up arms, and everyone began stabbing and killing anyone who was allied with Matilda. Matilda had barely gotten away before the mob broke into her apartments, and from all accounts, the meal that she was having was still warm, so they just got up in the middle of dinner and, like, fucking booked it. And within moments, she just lost everything. King Diarrhea's wife is said to have made a tearful plea to Bishop Henry, who at this point was allied with our girl Matilda, 
to rejoin Stephen's forces and to release her husband. Like, oh my god, please let my husband go. I love him so much. I miss him. Ah. Like, real white woman tears. Like, tears that just follow acts of violence. Kind of like crocodile tears. Which, fun fact, like, crocodile tears, I think that started with, like, a bestiary in the Middle Ages where they said crocodiles would cry when they would eat people. Like, that's exactly who king stefan's wife was just like oh my god i committed this act of violence i'm just gonna cry about it because i miss my husband mm. and of course of course the deeds of stephen like the chroniclers loved it and they were like oh my gosh she just she cried for him and it was so profound and i was moved at her plea for her husband and she's such a noble woman and i'm just like oh my god Fuck you both. Fuck all of you. Ugh. Since Matilda's army had to flee so suddenly, they left unprepared and traveled very far to escape the mob. By the time they reached a safe spot, Matilda was wrecked with exhaustion. Her brother Robert was captured in the process, and as a deal, she had to hand over Stephen for her brother's life. Which, like, of course she had, you know, she did, you know, she wasn't about to risk her brother's uh, safety. And all the magnates, noblemen, church officials abandoned her cause. On Christmas in 1141, King Diarrhea and his princess of the patriarchy held a second coronation, which was very lavish. So I made a point to mention how pro-Stephen chroniclers discussed his wife Matilda because she was acting on behalf of her husband and she was praised for it. Again, a real princess of the patriarchy fighting for men's rights here. Margaret Thatcher would be so proud. Yet, because our girl Matilda was acting for herself, folks said some really terrible things about her. Once she became, uh, once she got closer to becoming female monarch, she wanted to arrange things according to her own will. She walked and talked with authority as she had been, as she had seen all male monarchs do. And no one would dare diss on a male monarch for acting on authority, especially for the time. Like, are you kidding me? They would be all over that. But when a woman's doing it, well, that's another story. The deeds of Stephen describe her as such. She at once put on an extremely arrogant demeanor, instead of the modest gait and bearing proper to the gentle sex, began to walk and speak and do things more stiffly and more haughtily than she had been wont, to such a point that soon, in the capital of the land subject to her, she actually made herself queen of all England and gloried in being so called." So they're really just mad that Matilda was excited and preparing to be the first ruling monarch or the first ruling female monarch. Like, why shouldn't she be proud of that fact? She had endured a lot to get where, to get to where she was. Married as a child, married to a child. She was imperial regent. She was queen. She was empress. Like, are you kidding me? Calm down. This is ridiculous. Also, I might be getting off topic here, so bear with me. This part was not mentioned in anything that I found, but this just is an assumption that I've 
kind of observed. So an observation, I guess. Um, I think Stephen's political party used the fact that Matilda was seen as foreign to so many people as a reason why not to support her. Um, look, this like anti-immigrant pro-Brexit energy is bone deep in the citizens of London. And I've seen it mentioned in like the Peasants' Revolt of the 14th century, and I've seen it mentioned around the time of William the Conqueror. And like, while xenophobia is not isolated to like just Europe, I see it come up so much and it's so goddamn stupid. But like, I think it has to be acknowledged as that was like an old world tactic that's still very much pushed today. So I think there was definitely some xenophobia when discussing um, Empress Matilda, like they kind of saw her as like this foreign queen and of course misogyny, like bada boom, bada bing. To come so close to being crowned only to be chased away must have been a real blow to Matilda and she more or less had to accept that she would just, she just would not be monarch. It was not in the cards for her. And so she had to switch it up a bit refusing to give up anything to King Diarrhea. She then started to campaign for her son, Henry, to be recognized as monarch. Matildo took up residence in Oxford Castle, but was invaded by Stephen's forces. Rather than storming the castle, though, him and his armies were settled on the outside, so they were kind of just occupying it, which is still annoying. It was winter of 1142, just before Christmas, Matilda was able to sneak out of the castle with a handful of knights. Legend has it she climbed down the tower, all warrior Rapunzel-like. Oxford was covered in heavy blankets of snow. Matilda and her men camouflaged themselves in all white, crossing through snow and an icy river, undetected. The river is, uh, so the river is called River Isis, but I believe it's also part of the Thames. I imagine crossing the icy river bit to be incredibly stressful. Her brother died by water, and when Matilda crossed, she was in a heavy wool winter dress. One crack, and she would go under. Stressful situation indeed, but she made it across along with her knights, and they made it safely to Wallingford. The years that followed were more countless battles, and folks were getting really tired. The reign of Stephen is referred to as anarchy in part because of the devastation it caused for the peasantry and anyone who was not noble. Land was devastated by both armies. Both Stephen and Matilda gave away royal titles, earldoms, castles, etc. And there would be there would be two different earls calling on them to fight. So like two different earls calling on peasants to fight for them or two different earls raising taxes like it was bullshit and as always the poor were just royally fucked and caught in the middle of all this drama though it was normal for the time to be away from your children if you were a monarch matilda had been away for years while her children were being raised by someone else or their dad jeffrey who had also been maintaining control in normandy and his lands if Matilda would not go to her children, one of her children would go to her. In 1147, a 14-year-old Henry II, well, 
future Henry II, set sail for England with a, uh, with a small little punk army, but his expedition failed. To start, Henry did not pay his band of bandits on the spot, but offered to pay them via credit. Girl, do not start a war on credit that you can't back up. He was super ill-prepared and tried to ask his mother for money, which she said, no, get your ass home. I didn't ask you to come here. Uh, this is when King Diarrhea stepped in and paid off uh, Henry's bandits, allowing them all to return home safely. No one knows why he did this. Perhaps he liked Henry. We don't know, but one can assume. In 1148, Matilda returned to Normandy to re-establish her court in Rouen, where she met with her family to make arrangements for their future. Matilda chose to live in the priory of Notre-Dame-du-Pré, situated south of Rouen, where she had her own personal quarters, still seeking seclusion from her husband and in the comfort of the church. Matilda and Geoffrey made peace with the current king of France, Louis VII, who had supported Henry's rights to Normandy. In 1151, Geoffrey and his son Henry met with Louis VII and his wife at the time, Eleanor of Aquitaine. Now, I was really confused when Henry first met Eleanor, as I heard different accounts, but in the Catherine Hanley book that I read, she claims that this was actually the first time the two met. Eleanor was said to have been smitten with both Geoffrey and young Henry, who at the time was 18 years old. Shortly after meeting, Je or shortly after the meeting, I should say, Geoffrey died unexpectedly in that same year, and Henry Jr. claimed the family lands. In 1154, Henry Jr. returned to England with a small army winning the support of some major regional barons. It was here that everyone was like, let's just stop fighting because we're all tired and there's another person here. Like, let's just stop. The arrangement had been decided, and the arrangement is really gross in my opinion. So a deal was negotiated with the church and with King Diarrhea, and it was stated that Henry would become Stephen's heir, but that in doing so, Stephen would adopt him, referring to him as his son. Therefore, it still would be, at least in writing, that Stephen's heir would take the rightful place as monarch not as Matilda's son, as Stephen's heir, which was a real slap in the face, in my opinion. Like, they really couldn't even say Matilda's son Henry would become king. They had to say Stephen's heir would become king. Like, the fuckery involved in that choice is just, oof, it's wild. Stephen passed away the following year, and Henry assumed the throne, I believe at this point he was already married uh, to Eleanor of Aquitaine and had been for a couple of years. Henry wore one of the imperial crowns Matilda took with her from the empire for the occasion. Matilda, however, did not attend the coronation, though it is unclear why. I imagine it must have been difficult to push aside her personal feelings of having been denied the crown herself. She could be happy for her son, or she could be happy that her son was king now, but also at the same time be upset that she was so close yet cast aside. So that crown just sadly wasn't hers. I understand. I don't know if I'd want to be there either. So 
Remember that crown I set, or not the crown, I'm sorry, the hand of St. James the Apostle that uh, Matilda took with her from the Empire? Well, apparently the Empire wanted it back, and once Henry became queen, uh, king, there was like this, uh, this back and forth between the current emperor and him demanding its return, and uh, Matilda didn't have to give up her, you know, St. James Apostle hand. Uh, I think Henry had just promised him something else. Like, he was like, ah, oh, that sucks that you don't have that hand anymore, but how about I give you this instead? And it was, like, some, like, lavish thing that was, like, desired of that century. And I just thought that was kind of funny that he was like, no, you can't take my mom's hand away. Like, that hand is her hand. That St. James hand, that is her possession. And it's kind of a funny story. Matilda stayed in Normandy and managed the estates there. She was said to have been very good at it, uh, from all accounts. Early in Henry's reign, he issued charters in hers and his name. Henry relied on Matilda's counsel and advice from the get-go. And I mentioned this, I think I mentioned this earlier, but he later adopted her title of Empress, changing it to Fitz Empress. And I think all of her kids did that, which was kind of cute. Henry wanted to give his younger brother, William, Ireland, like the whole, the whole country of Ireland, the whole nation of Ireland. He was like, can I just give it to William? Because he thought he like needed land. And Matilda, she said it, she basically said like, hey kid, I like your energy and I like where you're going with this, but I don't think we should get involved with Ireland. Let's find something else for William to do. And it was probably the first and only time in English history where England left Ireland alone. And after Matilda's death, Henry tried to give Ireland to his youngest son, John, but the Irish chased him out. So for a while, Henry was like really obsessed with this idea of giving Ireland away. And I don't know why, but fuck yeah, Ireland, because... This, don't worry, this podcast is very pro-Ireland. Matilda was also involved in attempts to mediate between Henry and his chancellor, Thomas Beckett, who, uh, when the two men fell out in the 1160s, Matilda had originally cautioned against the appointment of uh, Thomas Beckett, but when the prior of Mont Saint-Jacques asked her for a private interview on Beckett's behalf to seek her views, she provided a moderate perspective on the problem. Matilda explained that she disagreed with Henry's attempts to codify English customs, which Beckett was opposed to, but also condemned poor administration in the English church and Beckett's own headstrong behavior. I believe it was uh, the same prior or possibly a different prior, I'm not too sure, I didn't get a name, but a prior of Mont-Saint-Jacques, who had described Matilda as being of the stock of tyrants. Oh, girl, yes, please. Like, not sure if it was meant to diss on her, as of the time it was customary to praise women as being beautiful and noble and pious and whatever. So claiming a woman was of tyrants could have been a dig. It is true, though, like, she was of that stock. Henry was, as stated earlier, like, her dad, Henry, um, was intense as fuck, as was plenty of other, 
uh, family members of hers. Like, she came from a long line of intimidating people. So, of course she was of the stock of tyrants. Matilda died on the 10th of September, 1167, at 65 years old, and her remaining wealth was given to the church. Her tomb's epitaph, in my opinion, is horrible, and you guys, I'm about to rant like crazy. I can't stress how much I hate it. So here we go. Great by birth, greater by marriage, greatest by her offspring, here lies Matilda the daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. Okay, where to even begin with this one? So, some argue that Matilda wrote this herself, and some say that it was the work of her son Henry. And here is just, here's why I think it's fucked up. If Matilda wrote this herself, it diminishes all the work she did, and more so aligned her power and actions with men with the patriarchy, and yes, her power had come initially from her father, but she could have easily backed down when Stephen took the throne from her. She didn't need to fight. She could have just been a countess and left the whole thing alone, but she did fight. So by saying her power is with her father, husband, and son, she only, she would only assert, she only would assert the men of her life and not her own character. A woman is no more than the men in her life, especially the latter part of that epitaph. Daughter, wife, and mother of Henry. It just sounds so imprisoning and just stuck in this cycle of men. And like, sort of, like, Matilda's life was stuck in a cycle of men. So by like, declaring that she was and being proud that she was, it's just, I hope she didn't write that. If she did, I'm like girl. What? Um, it's very creepy and I just, I really hate it. Patriarchy just reminds me of Stockholm Syndrome, especially like how this reads. Like you're basically praising your captors for your life. Like she's saying, thanks dad for selling me to a man when I was six. Thanks, Heinrich, for being that man I was sold to and giving me power. And thank you, my son Henry, who is king, and I didn't get to be female fucking king. So, but I love you anyways. Like, Stockholm Syndrome. I don't know what's happening here, but I don't like it. Her brother, William Aithling, who had died in the White Ship disaster, got a damn chivalric story as his epitaph. Like, oh, here comes the magical prince on his lifeboat to save his dying sister from the channel, only to die himself. Ah, like they referred to his ass as the flower of chivalry. And Matilda gets this toxic patriarchal bullshit. Here lies Matilda, nothing more than the men whom she was birthed by, married to as a child and produced. Like, I can't even. It, I'm so irritated. Her epitaph should have said something like, here lies Matilda, queen of the Romans, empress, lady of the English, femme soul, like, girl, you have all those fucking titles, like, use them in death and beyond. Even mother to the house Plantagenet would have been better, though in my opinion, I think the house Plantagenet should have been called house Fitzempress, but whatever. 
Matilda's cause would go on to stump scholars throughout the ages. Even Tudor scholars were perplexed as to why she was not made queen outright. Tudor scholars, guys, like, they still hated women in the Tudor age. So if they're like, what's happening, then it can be, like, assumed that what happened to Matilda was just unfair. And she did gain a lot of attention in the Victorian era, as there was, like, renewed interest in the Middle Ages. I'm not sure what the future of England would have looked like with Matilda as monarch. I do think it might have opened doors for more women to inherit outright. So we might have had a, a few more queens, like a few, there would be the option of, it would possibly be more acceptable for a king to name his daughter as his heir rather than his son. Like maybe perhaps that wouldn't have been an issue. I don't know. Um, and it also might have opened doors for women in other careers in England and beyond. We'll never know. And I do, I have said this a few times that uh, female monarchy, queen rulers, queen female woman doesn't necessarily mean that it is better. Uh, women can be just as cruel as their male counterparts and women can act on the act on behalf of men and by doing so it could still be cruel so if a woman still acts on behalf of men and she serves the patriarchy is she a good leader and you know opening a feminist door for all like aspiring women leaders no if they align themselves with patriarchy no they're not doing that so and if Matilda wrote that epitaph then who who the fuck knows what kind of leader she would be? Like, if she wrote that, then she probably would just be the same as her dad and the same as the men that were, that ruled before her and the men that ruled after her. But you know, what's fucked is we'll just never know because England was like, we don't want a female king. We don't want a woman re ruler. We want King Diarrhea. He's our best friend. And it was fucking stupid, in my opinion. What we do know is every monarch of Great Britain can claim her as an ancestor, so in a way, Matilda's legacy continues on. So thank you so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoyed this very long episode on Empress Matilda. And I have to say, after all of this research, uh, She's definitely one of my top three favorite monarchs. And so she's joined, uh, my top three are her, uh, Anne Boleyn, and Ludwig II. Like a very colorful trio of monarchs. And I do apologize about the change of, I think I changed the date of this episode twice, like the release date of this episode. And I apologize for that. I've been working on a private project. And even though I've been like publishing and making episodes for um, a few months now, sometimes I still greatly underestimate the amount of work it takes for pre-production, writing, editing, and all that jazz. Like, I'm just I'm very quick to get ahead of myself. My resources for this episode are the book uh, Matilda, Empress, Queen, Warrior by Dr. Katherine Hanley. And I read it once and then I reread a couple of parts again 
because I didn't quite understand them just to confirm the history. So that was my big resource. And I did read some of uh, The White Ship by Charles Spencer. And I went to historic-uk.com and columbia.edu. And I listened to um, a History Extra podcast interview with Dr. Catherine Hanley. If you like what you hear and you want to show your support, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Finding History Podcast. And if you really want to show your support or you want some additional content, you can follow me on my Patreon account at Finding History Podcast. I make music playlists for each episode. I upload images, mini bios, mini sods, and such on that platform. So stay tuned for one on Robert Curtos and Eleanor, the Fair Maiden of Brittany, coming soon. Again, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate your support. And until we meet again, stay safe, wear a mask, and keep learning. Bye-bye!